This is OTR Rob, welcoming you to another edition of the Fibber McGee Block of Shows and Fibber and Molly. This episode is from Two Days Before Christmas, 1947, 1223, 1947, The Lost Key Ring, and then Our Miss Brooks from January 16th, 1955. This episode is called Male Superiority, and guys, I think we should probably listen to this program to figure out what that really means or what it meant back in 1955. I think a lot has changed since then. And you bet your life, from May 3rd, 1950, the secret word is bread. B-R-E-A-D. Do you realize that within my lifetime, when you used to go to the grocery store to buy a loaf of bread, you got a loaf. You didn't get it cut. It didn't automatically come cut. You had to cut it. Odd as that may seem, but then if you got large family, and you think your kid knows how to cut bread, uh, ain't gonna work. <laughs> so mom had to cut the bread, and probably had to cut it in advance, although she probably could cut it at the time that she needed it. But then bread didn't last very long then, so he had to go back to the store about a week later and get another loaf of uncut bread. And for a while, when they did make cut bread, they still offered uncut bread. That's just a little trivia pursuit fact. But anyway, enjoy the show. The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. You know, it's a beautiful sight to sit in a room and see the red and green lights of a Christmas tree reflected softly in the luster of well-polished furniture. It makes the room warmer and richer somehow. Well, now your furniture will have the kind of luster that reflects the holiday lights if you polish it with Johnson's Cream Wax. 
You just rub on a little cream wax, let it dry a second or two, and then polish lightly. The surface will actually glow. Dust and dirt won't stick to your furniture or light-colored woodwork, for there's not one single drop of oil in Johnson's cream wax. Once polished, all that's necessary to keep that wonderful glow is an occasional light dusting. Clean and polish your furniture in one easy operation with Johnson's Cream Wax. Then sit back and look at the warm reflection of those Christmas tree lights in every shining surface. Use Johnson's Cream Wax to bring out the beauty of the home. Look on the bright side, shine up the right side, bring out the beauty of the home. One reason things always look brighter in the morning than they did the night before is that it isn't so dark in the daytime. But a little tough luck that Mr. McGee of 79 Wistful Vista had last night was not helped a bit by eight hours sleep. Listen to himself this morning as we join Fibber McGee and Molly. No more breakfast for me, kiddo. I gotta get going. Not even another cup of coffee? No. Why, you haven't had fewer than three cups of coffee for breakfast since the big chap ran for president. <laughs> I can't help it, Snooky. I gotta backtrack myself to the Elks Club and look for my key ring. I lost it on my way home last night. Why didn't you stop and look for it then? Because it was blacker than the inside of a buffalo. The moon was behind clouds, the street lights were behind telephone poles, and I was behind $2.40 playing snooker, and I wanted to get home. Your key ring? Why, McGee, the key to the hall closet was on your key ring, and all our Christmas presents are locked in the hall closet. I know it, but don't you worry now. I'll find them. I'll just walk back the way I came. Down to Oak Street, over to 14th. McGee? Huh? Have you looked out the window this morning? No, no. You know I can't stand the sight of daylight till after I've had my coffee. Yes, I know. I sent Maxwell House a Christmas card in Kara Burns and Allen. Good. But uh, take a peek out the window, sweetheart. I haven't got time, baby. i got to look for my key ring, so... Oh, my gosh. Snow. Three feet of it. It just stopped snowing a little while ago. Isn't it beautiful? Beautiful? With my key ring, with the key to the hall closet, with all our Christmas presents locked in it, buried under it? Why, it's horrible. Well, I gotta get going anyway. Dad, Brad, where's my overcoat? Where's my mittens? See if you can find my overshoes. Where's what are you going to do? Your key ring is under three feet of snow. I'll find it if it's under 44 feet of French fried frog legs. <laughs> I'll shovel the sidewalk clean clear down to the Elks Club. Or clear clean down to the Elks Club, as the case may be. Now, I'll find the dad. I hope that's Foggy Williams, the weatherman. And if it is, kiddo, you'd better leave the room. I could have, I got a few choice remarks to make this. Now, 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 the weatherman can't help it if it snows. Uh, he can predict it, can't he? So people will be prepared and not go losing their key rings the night before. But, darling, he did predict. Well, who believes him? <laughs> My gosh, if I ever thought it was... Come in. Hi, Miss McGee. Hi, Miss McGee. Gee, isn't this wonderful? Four feet of snow. Three feet. Well, I bet you it would be up to my hips on you, I bet you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, can us kids ever have fun now, though, ever? Ah, uh, fun, Pata. Well, Teeny, it's nice to see you. Hand me my sweater, will you, Molly? Thanks. Now, where's my muffler? Gee, don't Mr. McGee like snow, Miss McGee? Don't you, Mr. McGee? Hmm, don't you? Hmm? <laughs> Look, sis, snow is beautiful. 
in a photograph of Mount Whitney taken from 45 miles away. <laughs> it's beautiful to a grizzly bear that's been Hibernian for the winter in a cave somewhere. <laughs> but under foot and down your neck and up your sleeve, you can have it. Where's my overshoes? Hey, Mr. McGee, if you're going past my house, come on in because we got a surprise for you, the kids and me. You know, Johnny and Kenny and Buddy and Ratty are practicing our Christmas carols. Yeah, look, 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 Teeny. Hmm? Some other time, I'd love to stand around in my overshoes and hear the exciting news about you and Kenny and Ratty and all them other... Buddy and Johnny. Yeah, but I got to work today. <laughs> so, if you'll excuse me, I got to go shovel some snow. Oh, my daddy can't shovel snow. Hmm? He's got his arm in a cast. He cut himself shaving. <laughs> He, uh, he cut himself shaving and got his arm in a cast? Sure. He said he was eating popcorn at the time and the bag fell down over his eyes. <laughs> now, wait a minute, sis. He was eating popcorn at the time and yeah, the... Yeah, but he says it wouldn't happen again in a million years because he don't care how vicious a dog is, he can make friends with it, rain or shine. Well, what that got to... Well... Stop at my house if you can, Miss. I know you'll like the surprise we got for you. So long, Miss McGee. Bye, Tina. If I walk kind of lopsided, kiddo, it's because I think I just had my leg pulled. <laughs> well, here I go, Tootsie. I think you were a little rude to Tina McGee. My goodness, no, it's just what children love at Christmas time, and she was so happy at having this surprise for you. Surprise my clavicle. <laughs> Hearing her and them other kids sing Christmas carols is about as much of a surprise as waking up on New Year's Day to find out it's January. Now, let me see, have I forgot anything? Well, I don't think so. You have your overshoes. Yeah. Three sweaters, overcoat, mittens, your hat with the earmuffs. Huh? Your hat with the earmuffs. I can't hear you. Earmuffs! Wait a minute, I can't hear anything with these dad-ratted earmuffs on. <laughs> what did you say? I nearly said... Oh, clang, clang, clang. I never saw it to fail. The minute I get busy or want to go someplace, that dad-ratted doorbell starts ringing like there was a fire on the waterfront. Come in. Well, my goodness, Dr. Gamble with snow on his eyebrows. Come on in out of the cold, doctor. Thank you, my dear. And what are you all bundled up for, wet wash? <laughs> you look like a sail going somewhere to rum it. <laughs> you hate to see me dressed up warm, eh, Greedy? Need a few pneumonia cases to pay off your Christmas bills, eh? <laughs> Lumpy, when I start picking patients in advance, they'll have better credit ratings than yours. <laughs> And I would like to add that as a judge of character, you will never be re-elected. Well, to answer your question, Doctor, he's going out for, uh, to look for his key ring. He lost it somewhere between here and the Uggs Club last night. A splendid project. Betcha. Do all that work just to recover a dime store key ring with six keys, three of them unidentified, a bottle opener, a lucky rabbit's foot which doesn't seem to have done him any good, and an identification tag which says, Please return to Fibber McGee, 79 Wistful Vista, no reward. <laughs> However, good luck with it, Lemonhead So long, my dear That big old fraud with a little black bag wouldn't be so quippy If he knew that key ring held the key to the hall closet And all our presents were in there, including the one we're giving him Hey, I better get going, I gotta find that key ring Hey, couldn't we just get a locksmith to open the door for us? Nope, all closed, holidays Take the hinges off the door. I thought of that. 
With our hall closet, it's too dangerous. <laughs> you gotta have the key. It's gotta be so you can twist the key, turn the knob, and leap back. <laughs> well, here I go, kiddo. Into the wild, white yonder. My hero. <laughs> in the orchestra and March of the Toys. so fast. <laughs> I gotta find those dad rudder keys pretty quick. It'll soon be dark. Oh, McGee, I brought you another thermos of hot coffee. How are you getting along, dearie? Terrible. I've been shoveling this dad rudder stuff all day, and I can still see our house. <laughs> Give me the coffee, will you? Careful now. It's pretty hot. As cold as I am, I can't even tell if it's scalding. Boy, I could go for a hot buttered root beer right now. <laughs> McGee, look who's coming, the weatherman. Yeah, walking around gloating, is he? If this is his idea of a... Hello, Mr. Williams. Hi, Foggy. Well, Mr. and Mrs. McGee, I'm glad to see you. Have a cigar, Mr. McGee? A cigar? Why, why, thanks, Foggy. (laughs) Celebrating something? (laughs) That you guess? You don't mean... Why, Mr. Williams, have you and Mrs. Williams had... No, 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 Mrs. Williams had nothing to do with this. This is my own snowstorm. I predicted it all by myself. Uh, <laughs> predicting weather must be fascinating work, Mr. Williams. No, thank you. I don't smoke cigars. <laughs> oh, excuse me. 
Yes, I had rather an interesting time out west last summer, experimenting with making weather. Well, if you can unmake it, boy, you and me have got a deal cooking. <laughs> What'd you do, Mr. Williams? Move in with an Navajo so you could whip up some Indian summers? <laughs> no. No. I rented a plane, took it up 8,000 feet over a dusty ranch, and dropped 50 pounds of ice into a cloud. Then I landed to see what had happened. And what had happened, kiddo? I had killed a cow. <laughs> Heavenly days, how unfortunate. Oh, it really was. The rancher was standing there, and he said if the ice had landed three feet to the left, it would have killed his son-in-law. <laughs> what was so unfortunate about that? Well, the son-in-law was a worthless lad, but the cow was valued at $600. Well, I must get down to the office My assistant is watching the instruments down there And he just called to report a rise in temperature and a warm front Oh, just what does that mean, Mr. Williams? It means he should turn around and stand with his back to the fire for a while (laughs) Well, Merry Christmas to both of you Uh, Same to you, Mr. Williams Well, back to work, peasant Trouble like you were getting paid by the hour. Oh, oh. What is it, McGee? Did you find the key ring? I don't know. There's something here, all right. Close to the sidewalk. Wait till I chip it loose. Ow! What was it? I tore my overshoe. <laughs> Doggone it. I'm getting tired of this. Don't let me carry keys anymore, Molly. I can't be trusted well, to Well, now, we've tried it that way, too, remember? Hmm? You came home without your front door key the night I was out playing bridge. Yeah. You broke the big window, knocked over the floor lamp, put your foot in the goldfish bowl, grabbed the drapes to keep from falling, fell anyhow, hit the end table, rolled in the hall, and found the front door unlocked the way I left it for you. Yeah, but I was only trying Hello to... Hello there, Molly. Hiya, pal. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Pull up a snowbank and sit down. <laughs> Hi, Junior. Oh, boy, what a day this is. This really feels like Christmas. I love a good... Hey, wait a minute. Aren't you a little lost, pal? Your house is down the street there. I know that, Junior. Relax. I lost my key ring last night coming home from the Alps. It snowed all over it, so I'm looking for it with the snow snow. Oh, I see. Yeah, any further questions? One. One more question. Why didn't you clean off your own sidewalk? Yours is the only house on the block with snow in front of it. I looked on our sidewalk last night, and the keys are not there. There's no use shoveling through a lot of snow that I know my keys are and ring isn't under. There's plenty between here and the office that I don't know where the monkey is. <laughs> You know, he's always very efficient, Mr. Wilcox. Well, I'd like to stay and help you, pal, but I'm busy just walking around getting that old Christmas spirit today. Gee, I love this time of year. Oh, me too, Mr. Wilcox. Everybody's sending cards and buying presents. And locking them in hall closets. Christmas trees all lighted up, wreaths in all the windows. Snow all over the keys. Ah, you know, to me, Christmas and New Year's Day are real Johnson's Wax holidays. To you, Mr. Wilcox, so are Columbus Day, Easter, and the annual convention of the Daughters of Notary Publics of Western Florida. <laughs> also Navy Day in the Kentucky Derby. No, no, no. I mean that with the kids home from school, relatives and friends dropping in the house, the spirit of hospitality is really at its peak at this time of the year. There's a hand clasp at the door, a smile on the face, and a glistening, gleaming welcome from even the floors and furniture. Ah. You know what I mean? Well, if we don't, we've wasted a good 13 years. <laughs> Look, Waxy. Yes, pal? Go crinkle your crisp someplace else, will you? I got worse. 
I may have to shovel my way clean to the Elks. I got no time to stand here in barbershop with you. I give you two parting words. I know. Go home. No. Merry Christmas. Well, thank you, pal. And the same to both of us. Goodbye, Mr. Wilcox. Too bad we don't have another shovel or I could help you out a little. Well, now, you can just use this one a while, Tootsie. It's a nice light shovel. I mean, I know you wouldn't want the neighbors to see your wife doing manual labor like that right out on the street, of course. And what business is it of theirs, I'd like to know. If my wife wants to help me out when she sees I'm breaking my back trying to give us a nice... Oh, 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 oh. Here comes that kid down the street again. Oh, teeny. Yeah, I better get busy. She'll start giving me that pitch about Kenny and Rally and Buddy and... Hi, mister. Hi, Miss McGee. Hi. I'm very busy right now, Teeny. Hello, Teeny. You having fun? Sure. Me and Kenny and Buddy and Ratty and Johnny have been practicing our Christmas carols. And... Mr. McGee. What you want? This is if I didn't know. My house is just right down there, and if you just stop in a little while, we got a surprise for you, I bet you. I'm in no mood for surprises now. Best surprise you can give me right now is go on home. Yeah, but... Gee, mister... Don't you like little children? Certainly I like little children. Don't you like old men? Sure. Well, okay then. So long, Miss McGee. Hey, kids, not Teddy Ted. I'm kids. Breaking my back, shoveling snow. Why don't you let the children sing for you and get it over with, McGee? You ought to sit down and rest a while anyhow. You know why I don't let them sing for me, Molly. My gosh, when I hear a bunch of grubby little kids like that singing Christmas carols all off-key with their smeary little pusses lit up like an Easter sunrise, I get all mushy and start forgiving everybody for everything they ever done to me. It's very embarrassing because sometimes I can't even remember what I was sore at them about. He was, I gotta protect myself. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle all the hell there, kids! Heavenly Daisy, old timer. Hi, old timer. What brings you out in this kind of weather? My flexible flyer, Johnny. What do you think I'm pulling behind me, a bulldozer? My goodness, this sled. Isn't it awfully cold for you, Mr. Old Timer? Not if I keep moving, daughter. Me and some of the other kids. Younger crowd. Going out to Dugan's Hill to do some belly... <laughs> stomach busters. Yeah, I know. Buckle bruisers. Yeah. Want to come along, Johnny? I'll share my sled with you. I'll use it going down, and you can use it coming up. Fifty-fifty. <laughs> no. no, I got work to do. Yes, he's going to shovel snow all the way down to the Elks Club, it looks like. <laughs> Is that so? Well, different people like different things. Me, I like coasting. I'm going to try to bust my own record for the bobsled run at Dugan's Hill. Your own record? Said it last year, daughter. Went down that run in 13 seconds. Well, that's half a mile. In 13 seconds? Yep. May take a little longer with a sled, of course. home. You're worn out and it's too dark to see anymore anyhow. I guess so. What a break. All our Christmas presents locked in the hall closet and no key. How do I get into these messes anyhow? Well, I don't know, but you do it so easily, dearie. Come on, let's go home. Okay, I'm worn out. I'm beat like the seat of a jockey's pants. I'm as bushed as the left-hand Smith brother. And now, dearie. Sorry. Here, now, let me carry Mr. Williams' snow shovel a while. Oh, I'll throw it in a snowdrift. My gosh, what kind of a cheap snow scoop is that, anyhow? Can't even find a ring of keys with a cheap thing. Well, who, 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 who's that crossing the street? Uh, why, McGee, I believe it's Mr. Wimple. Yeah, Wallace Wimple. 
Hi, Wimp. Hello, Mr. Wimple. Hello, folks. <laughs> well, it's good to see you again, Wimp. Yes. Are you looking forward to a nice Christmas, Mr. Wimple? Oh, yes. I had a wonderful time last night, too, Mrs. McGee. Sweetie Face, that's my big old wife. <laughs> Sweetie Face helped out at the kindergarten Christmas party, and I went along. Oh, sounds big time, all right. Yes. She got all dressed up as Santa Claus and came down the big brick chimney for the kitties. Oh, Isn't that nice? Yes. <laughs> Somebody lit the most beautiful fire in the fireplace. <laughs> Just as she was halfway down. Oh, did she get hot about that? Built a fire while she was in the chimney. Gee, what happened, Wimp? Oh, the kitties loved it. They did? They'd never seen a Santa Claus with a pack of toys come through the side of a chimney before. <laughs> Bricks all over the place. <laughs> well, I'll leave you here. You're home. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. One nice thing about seeing Wimp with all the grief that poor guy has, I forget my own troubles. What was I worrying about? Oh, yeah, my key ring and all the keys. Hi, Mr. What are you kids doing on our front porch? Don't you know you'll catch cold out here? No, McGee, don't be cross with the children. It's almost Christmas Eve. Well, gee whiz, can't they take a hint? They'll have to come in the house now. Can't have them catch cold out here. He can't see. I told you he was. Come on in, children. Close the door. Yeah, close the door. Come on in, children. Close the door. <laughs> you wouldn't come to my house, Mr. McGee, so I brought Kenny and Buddy and Johnny and Ratty over here with the surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, mm -hmm. surprise. Okay, get it over with. Sing it. Well, Kenny and Ratty and Buddy and Johnny and I were practicing our Christmas carols last night, and right in front of our house we found these keys. Oh, okay. Sing it in any old key item. <laughs> keys? Sure. It says Fibber McGee and no reward on them, and you're the only Fibber. Oh, my keys. <laughs> and after me shoveling snow all day long to... Oh, Teeny. Why didn't you tell me you found my keys? You didn't give me a chance, mister. All day long, I tried to tell you. Oh, I see what you mean. Well, I'm sorry I was such a melonhead about it, sis, but you know me. I'm, I'm have to be a little grouchier than usual around Christmas time. Gee, why, Mr. McGee? Most people are a lot more cheerful, I bet you. Yeah, but I... Well, I can explain that, Teeny. You see, he's very sentimental. He's got to act a little tough or he goes all to pieces. Now, you take a Christmas carol, for instance. Can you take a Christmas carol, dearie? Huh? Oh, I love them. But, but, but I, I don't want people to know it. They might take advantage of me. Go ahead, sis. Sing me a carol. But don't anybody ask me to sign my life insurance over to them right afterwards, because I'll do it. Oh. <laughs> okay. Come on, Randy and Kenny and Johnny and Buddy. A one and a two and a three. <laughs> Oh, 
NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Now it's Armist Brooks starring Eve Arden. In the year she has been teaching English at Madison High, Armist Brooks has learned a few cardinal rules concerning her principal, Mr. Conklin. One was to be punctual always. Another was to be agreeable at all times. And a third was, never cross your principal until you came to him. <laughs> Bearing this in mind, when Mr. Conklin suggested a method a few weeks ago of beating the high price of meat, I listened very carefully. His idea was for a few of us to chip in with him and buy a whole steer and keep it in a frozen food plant. Thus, it would make good meat available to us at a reasonable price whenever we wanted it. The scheme sounded feasible, so my landlady, Mrs. Davis, and Mr. Boynton and I joined the Conklins in his project. It worked perfectly until this past week. Thursday morning started out just like any of the others had since Ferdinand had entered our lives. Connie, you've hardly eaten a thing. Don't you like your breakfast this morning? I should say I do, Mrs. Davis. This beef stew is delicious. <laughs> I've had enough of it. I hunt you'd say that. You should. I've been saying it since Monday. <laughs> I'm sorry I had to serve this four-day-old stuff, Connie. But since we bought that steer, we've had more meat than we know what to do with. And anyway, I... Oh, that's probably Walter to pick me up. Come on in, Walter. The door's open. I hope he brought his appetite with him. Maybe he'll do away with some of this meat. Or vice versa. Good morning, Miss Brooks. Good morning, Mrs. Davis. Hello, Walter. You look a bit gloomy, dear. Yeah, I am. Would you like a bite to eat? That usually cheers you up. Yeah, what do you got? How about a slab of beef on a nice pointed stick? You no thanks. <laughs> now, I'm in big trouble with Harriet Conklin. Well, why not sit down and try a little of our stew? That ought to make you forget Harriet for a while. That ought to make him forget everything for a while. <laughs> You're eating beef stew for breakfast? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We've been battling it for the past four days now, Walter. Now, all the way I feel this morning, I couldn't eat a thing. I'm never hungry when Harriet isn't talking to me. What happened this time? Well, it all started over a little thing at the Conklin's last night. I was sitting in the living room with Harriet and Mr. and Mrs. Conklin when suddenly Harriet spied a large insect. Yeah, a praying mantis, to be exact. Well, they're perfectly harmless, but you've never heard two women scream the way Harriet and Mrs. Conklin did. Oh, oh, they were terrified. Well, in the midst of the commotion, Mr. Conklin calmly took off his shoe and killed the thing. What's that got to do with Harriet not talking to you? Well, I began kidding her about the fact that girls always go to pieces in an emergency. So one word led to another, and she ended up not speaking to me. I guess I shouldn't have teased her about something that's obviously so true. You mean you really believe that men react better to emergencies than girls do? 
Your present got me accepted, of course. <laughs> but then I never think of you as a girl, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Thanks a million. <laughs> what I mean is you'd never get into a panic over a little thing like an insect. Of course she wouldn't. Neither of us would. Oh, I know it, Mrs. Davis, but you're different. So, for instance, that little mouse running across the floor doesn't bother you two in the least. Mouse? <laughs> you're going upstairs. Corn, beat it, corn. There, he's gone, Miss Brooks. You can relax. Oh, I'm perfectly relaxed, Walter. I was just a bit startled, that's all. Yeah, I know. You can get down off that chair now. Oh, yes. Mm. I'm surprised at you, Connie, climbing up on the chair. Where else could I go? You're on the table. <laughs> oh, so I am. I was wondering how I suddenly got so tall. <laughs> you see what I mean? All women react alike in emergencies. Uh, look, Walter, just because we were a wee bit upset by a mouse is no reason to think we'd be over-emotional under any other circumstances. Please notice how rapidly I returned to normal. Right now, I'm as calm as can be. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> while you pull yourself together. Hello, Davis residence. Walter Denton speaking. Oh, hello, Walter. This is Mr. Boynton. Could I speak to Miss Brooks, please? You'll have to wait until she gets a grip on herself, Mr. Boynton. Gets a grip on herself? Yeah, she just saw a mouse. Miss Brooks and Mrs. Davis were leaping on chairs and tables like a brace of gazelles. <laughs> oh, boy, it almost knocked me out. Hand me that phone or I'll finish the job. <laughs> hello, Mr. Boynton. Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Hey, what's this about you and Mrs. Davis leaping on chairs and tables at the sight of a mouse? <laughs> I, I wish I'd been there. <laughs> I wish you had, too. There was an extra chair. <laughs> and I'm sure you didn't call up just to laugh at me, Mr. Boynton. Oh, now, don't get sore, Miss Brooks. I'm not sore, Mr. Boynton. Not in the least. I suppose you share the popular belief that all women get panicky in emergencies. Well, it's a known fact that men are cooler than women are in tense situations. But it's nothing to get angry about. I told you I'm not angry. If you want to call up and laugh at me, that's your business. If you choose to insult me by telling me how quickly I go to pieces, that's up to you. Oh, but Miss Brooks, But to I... accuse me of being sore and angry is more than I care to take. The next thing you'll be saying is that I'm mad. That's just what you're thinking, isn't it, Miss Boynton? Well, please, Well, Miss for your Brooks, information, I, just... I am neither sore, angry, nor mad. And neither you or anybody else can accuse me of it. Do you hear me, Mr. Boynton? Neither you or anybody else. Oh, but Miss Brooks... Please, try to cool down. I am cool. I'm cute as a cucumber. <laughs> I mean, cool as a cucumber. Oh, good. And I'll tell you what I called about. I know what you called about, and it's typical of your sneaky nature to call when it would embarrass me the most. Goodbye. My goodness, Connie. You shouldn't have gotten so peeved at Mr. Boynton. Well, I hate being told that men can handle emergencies better than women, Mrs. Davis. I know, but there's nothing you can do about it this minute, dear. Maybe not. But the way I feel now, if a mantis gets in my way today, he'd better pray. <laughs> a minute. Oh, good morning, Harriet. Oh, I'm glad I caught you before you went into your first class. I wanted to talk to you. What is it, dear? Well, you probably heard about the enormous insect at our house last night. Harriet, that's no way to talk about your father. 
Oh, you mean the praying mantis. Yes, I've heard about it. Well, since last night, Mother and I have heard so much about male superiority in emergencies that I'm not talking to Walter and Mother's not talking to Daddy. Well, don't look now, but Mr. Boynton's just joined the club. <laughs> you mean you're not speaking to Mr. Boynton either? Why? Was there a praying mantis at your house, too? No, just a mouse. Mrs. Davis and I became a bit unnerved when we saw one, and Walter blabbed about it to Mr. Boynton on the phone. Oh, I see. What about Mrs. Davis's cat, Minerva? It's a good thing she wasn't there. She'd have been more frightened than any of us. <laughs> well, I wish there was something we could do about it. Ah, here you are, Harriet. Good morning, Miss Brooks. Good morning, Mr. Carlton. We were just talking about you. Oh, did Harriet tell you how I slew that enormous praying mantis last night? <laughs> yes, sir. I understand you're having it mounted for your trophy room. <laughs> Miss Brooks, casting aspersions on my courage is most ill-timed coming as it does from one who has spent the better part of the morning perched on a dining room chair. Why, that little stool pigeon. I wouldn't have brought up the episode had you not made your disparaging remark. It's hardly necessary to reiterate a truism we are all aware of, that in emergencies, large and small, men are much superior to women. Daddy, you have no right... Silence! <laughs> Not with my salary check due tomorrow. That is, no, sir. Very well. Now, Harriet, I want you to go home immediately after school and help your mother prepare for our dinner party tonight. She broke her silence long enough to call and tell me she wanted you. All right, Daddy. You're having a big dinner tonight, sir? Uh, yes, Miss Brooks, for several members of the Board of Education. That steer we bought certainly comes in handy. Without it, I could never have invited all those important people... Oh, that reminds me. I'll have to take a trip down to the refrigerator plant this afternoon for some steaks. I could lend you some beef stew. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> well, I've got to get back to my office. I hope you two will voluntarily break up this cafe clutch. Or will I have to get a mouse and stampede you? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> mouse and stampede. <laughs> oh, I will have my little joke. <laughs> make you furious? It certainly does, Harriet. There must be some way to eliminate it. There is. But where can we find a long enough wall to line up the male population of the United States? Well, at lunchtime, I was still quite incensed over Mr. Boynton's attitude toward female inferiority in emergencies. He must have realized how I felt, because as he approached my table in the school cafeteria, he had a peace offering in his hand. Where some men give their girlfriends flowers or candy after an argument, Mr. Boynton's gift was more original. Well, here, Miss Brooks, I brought you a plate of noodle soup. <laughs> noodle soup? Is this to be construed as a peace feeler, Mr. Boynton? You might say that, yes. Well, it's got a lot of noodles in it. Well, if you think you can bribe me with lavish gifts, you're mistaken. Now, I'll thank you to leave me alone if you have nothing further to say. Oh, but I have, Miss Brooks. Yes? Well, what am I going to do with the soup? Use it as a finger bowl. <laughs> Young rope with the noodle. Excuse me, Mr. Boynton. No, please, Miss Brooks. There's no reason for us to be on the outs like this. Look, do you mind if I sit down for just a minute? There are no reserved seats in the cafeteria, Mr. Boynton, so there's not much I can do about it. Well, I don't know how we got into that argument on the phone in the first place. 
Uh, you see, my folks came into town unexpectedly, and you were the first person I thought of to help entertain them. Your folks? Yes. I called to ask you to play hostess at a little dinner party I'm giving them at my place tonight. Well, that's very flattering, Mr. Vine. I thought you'd appreciate it. I mean, you, you've always seemed to like my folks. And, uh, well, now I, I need your services for something else, too. You want me to cook the dinner? No, Dad's stomach hasn't been too strong lately. <laughs> it's not that you aren't a good cook. It's not that I am, either. <laughs> well, I'm in kind of a spot, Miss Brooks. I have no meat for the table tonight and no money to buy any. Well, that shouldn't be any problem. Why don't you go down to the refrigeration plant and hack a few yards off the dinosaur of the cattle world? <laughs> That's just it, Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin forgot to pay the rent on the frozen food locker, and they told him today that none of us could go near our steer until the rent was paid. He doesn't have the money. You know what this means, Miss Brooks. Vegetarianism is about to get some converts. <laughs> I'd like to help you out, Mr. Boynton, but I haven't any money either. Oh, I wouldn't ask you for money, Miss Brooks. But I have a little scheme. The scheme? Mr. Conklin, Mrs. Davis, and I are all known at the locker since we've been there many times to pick up meat. But you've never been there, have you? Not so far. Good. Well, just before closing time, there's only one man on duty. Now, if you could act as a sort of decoy and get him away from his desk for five minutes, I could sneak into the refrigeration room and get some meat. Now, do you follow me? Yeah, but who have we got in the getaway car, Lefty? <laughs> Dear Miss Brooks, we'll straighten out the rent bill later on. Now, will you help me? Well, where do you stand on male superiority in emergencies, Mr. Boynton? Oh, now, please, Miss Brooks, this isn't the type of emergency we were talking about. I just meant that women have a tendency to fall apart under pressure. Well, don't look now, but your decoy has just disintegrated. Oh, but Miss Brooks... Sorry, you'll just have to get someone else. Well, I'm sorry I've made you angry again, but if that's the way you feel about it, I will have to get someone else. There isn't much time, so if you'll excuse me... It's a pleasure. Well, see you later, Miss Brooks. Much later. Of all the nerves, asking me to help him, and then I should have dropped this noodle soup right into his lap. Men are the limit. Sometimes I wish... Well, there's no sense in going overboard. You must have money in the bank. Or were you rehearsing a speech for your class? I'm afraid you're wrong on two counts, Mr. Conklin. No matter. Miss Brooks, I'd like to make amends for my curt treatment this morning. Look, I've brought you a little gift. Why, Mr. Conklin, you shouldn't have. And it's just the color I like, too. Yes, I remember that you take your coffee black. <laughs> Do you mind if I sit down? Not at all. Take this chair. It's still warm. Uh, to come straight to the point, Miss Brooks, I have a little favor to ask you. I never would have guessed. I wouldn't dream of asking it, except in this dire emergency. Could you find it in your tender heart to lend me ten measly dollars until payday? I couldn't find ten measly cents in my measly heart. I'm flat broke, Mr. Conklin. I was afraid of that. Mr. Boynton told me the predicament you're both in, and you have my sympathy, sir, but... I'm going to need more than your sympathy, Miss Brooks. You see, I need some meat desperately for tonight. And the little plan I've invented to get it requires your help. Yeah, but who have we got in the getaway car, Lefty? <laughs> I beg your pardon? Does the plan involve my acting as a decoy for the lone man in the refrigerator plant while you loaf into the locker room and pill for some protein? What? Yes, yes. 
But how did you know? I've seen the picture. <laughs> uh, Mr. Boynton has a similar plan. And since you share the same low opinion of female behavior in emergencies, my answer to you is the same I gave Mr. Boynton. No, Mr. Conklin. No? I'm afraid you're barking up the wrong duck. <laughs> Miss Brooks, allow me to point out that there is a difference between Mr. Boynton's position and mine. A difference? Yes. I happen to be the principal of this institution, and as I have pointed out in the past, it is within my power to make your life here either pleasant or extremely unpleasant. <laughs> now, my dear, what is your answer? Quack, 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 as a decoy for the man in charge of the food locker seemed like the only way Mr. Conklin, or anyone else for that matter, was going to get a whack at our mammoth steer. So shortly before five that afternoon, we entered the refrigeration plant and approached the locker in front of which the man was sitting. Well, there's the man at that desk, Miss Brooks. Now, we've only got five minutes till closing time, so we've got to move fast. Well, I'll take care of him, Mr. Conklin. You just watch for a chance and sneak into the refrigeration room. Right. Good luck, Miss Brooks. Oh, pardon me, sir, but you've got to direct me to the owner of this company at once. I've got to see him immediately. It's urgent. Well, uh, ju just a minute, madam. What's the trouble? This is the Premium Meat Company, isn't it? Yes. Then I'd better talk to Mr. Premium. <laughs> it's an emergency but There is no Mr. Premium I'm in charge here, lady All the others have gone home Oh, well, then you'd better come immediately Something terrible has happened Where? Where? Oh, out front There's been a dreadful accident A car just crashed into the back of your delivery truck And ruined the whole thing A delivery truck? But I didn't hear anything It was one of those silent, sneaky crashes <laughs> Demolished the whole front end of it The front end? But you said the car crashed into the back of it. What are you, a district attorney or a meat watcher? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a mess. You'd better go out and take a look. Well, if it's as bad as you say, there's nothing to be gained by going out now. I might as well wait five minutes until closing time. Closing time? Well, that's too late. I mean, this won't wait. It isn't only the truck that's damaged. The crash ruined the rear end of the car in front of it. Well, then it's my car. Bingo. <laughs> Have a look, although I'm not supposed to leave this desk until closing time. Oh, I'll keep an eye on things for you. Believe me, I'll call you the minute the hamburger gets restless. <laughs> you just go right ahead. Well, okay, I'll be just a couple of minutes. Now to get to that refrigeration room and give Mr. Conklin a hand. Ooh, cold in here. Mr. Conklin? Mr. Conklin, are you in here? Over here, Miss Brooks, in this third row of steers. Where, Mr. Conklin? Right here, Miss Brooks. What's the matter? Don't you recognize me? Oh, of course. You're the blue one without the government stamp. <laughs> that is, you're not wearing your glasses, Mr. Conklin. I know. It's so confoundedly cold in here, my breath fogged them so I couldn't see. Now, give me a hand with this steer and we'll get out. Well, Miss Brooks, didn't you hear me? You're talking to a leg of lamb. I'm over here. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, sure. Well, <laughs> let's get going. It's so cold I can hardly stand it. 
Say, our steer hasn't got half as much meat on it as I thought. Please let go of my arm, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, perhaps I'd better go... Out... In there. How did he get back so soon? Quiet, Miss Brooks. Just remain perfectly silent. You won't know we're here. Well, now we can talk. Wait a minute. It's five o'clock. He's closing for the night. Closing for the night? Come on, Miss Brooks. use, Mr. Conklin. The door is so thick he can't hear us. But he's got to hear us. Somebody's got to hear us. We'll freeze to death in here. Now be calm, Mr. Conklin. Be calm, yes, yes. That's it, that's it. <laughs> We've got to do something, Miss Brooks. We'll freeze in here. Why, it won't take an hour and we'll be as stiff as these stairs. And now, Mr. Conklin. I don't want to die. <laughs> Please, Miss Brooks, don't let me die. Brush the sawdust off your knees. But I can't stand this cold. I can't stand it, I tell you. I'm going. I can sense it already. My whole life is beginning to unravel before my eyes. Please, Mr. Conklin, we're not drowning. We're only freezing to death. What am I saying? Oh, but it's true. I can feel the icy hand of the grim reaper on my throat. Your tie is caught in the pig's knuckles. Sure, we won't be abandoned in here. Somebody will. What was that? It came from behind that big ham. What big ham? It's me. Who's me? I sneaked in about five minutes ago when the refrigerator door was open. There was no one on guard. Walter came along to help me. Walter. Yeah, it's chilly in here, isn't it? Well, it's trying to get chillier. We're locked in for the night. Locked in? For the night? But we'll freeze to death. What do you know? The Andrews brothers. (laughs) Oh, Miss Brooks, this is terrible. I don't want to die. I'm too young to die. I'm too important to die. myself. <laughs> you three he-men will stop shivering for a minute. But I can't. I'm afraid. I just want to go. I... What's that? Oh, the door's opening. This way, madam. Thank heaven they're American. <laughs> of course, we're Americans. Whom were you expecting? Laplanders. <laughs> doing here, Mrs. Davis? My brother Victor and his wife dropped in for dinner, so I came down to get some meat. Luckily, I caught this man as he was leaving the building. Yeah, and if she hadn't paid part of the rent you owe on your locker, she never would have gotten in. Oh, what a break. It was extremely fortunate for all of us that you got here, Margaret. Especially for me. I certainly exploded the myth of male superiority in emergencies. Oh, I don't know. We weren't that panicky, Miss Brooks. You weren't, huh? Well, do you know something, Mr. Boynton? What? After seeing you three in action, I'll never be afraid of any other mice again. And now, here's the star of our show, Eve Arden. 
Well, such a demonstration of male superiority can only mean a superior headache. Armist Brooks, starring E. Barton, Clance Clark, was produced and directed by Larry Byrne, written by Arthur Oldberg and Al Lewis, for the music of Lud Gluskin. Mr. Conklin was played by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Bob Rockwell, Gloria McMillan, and Joel Samuel. same station, Eve Arden, in the role of Madison High School's favorite English teacher, Miss Brooks, will again call the student body together. Don't you be absent. Our Miss Brooks is presented each week through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is bread. B-R-E-A-D. Really? You bet your life! The DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... Hey, that's me, Groucho Marx, the Queen of the May. Thank you. Well, here I am again with $1,500 for one of our couples. George Fenneman, who's first? We invited some girl gas station attendants and some hot rod drivers to the program. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Dorothy Donata and Don Stedman. And here they are. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, kids, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. And if you say the secret word, you'll split $100 in cash between you. It's a common word, something you see every day. A hot rod driver and a girl service attendant, eh? Dorothy Donata? I presume you're the girl service attendant? Yes, I am, sir. I thought so. You're wearing pumps, that's why. Where are you from, uh, Dorothy? Oh, I'm from the beer and pretzel capital of the world, Reading, Pennsylvania. Oh. There's a drunk in the face row. Huh? <laughs> and uh, Don uh, Stedman, you're the hot rod driver. Where, where, where are you from, Hot Springs? No, sir, I'm from uh, the Sooner State, Oklahoma. <laughs> you both look like fairly new models. Uh, uh, Don, uh, how old are you? Twenty-two. Twenty-two. And, and what's your age, Dorothy? Twenty-two. Well, you still got the original paint job, huh? <laughs> are you married, Dorothy? No, I'm not. Why not? Oh, I still have time yet. So have I. Shall we dance? <laughs> Why aren't you married, Don? Well... I still got a little ways to go. 
Well, if you're driving a hot rod, it won't be long before you'll get there. <laughs> How do you go about building one of your highway rockets? Well, uh, uh, well, you rebuild the front end, put in new kingpins and uh, new shocks all the way around, and uh, then you have to change the gears in your differential. You've got to get your manifold. Some of them are running four pots this year. No, huh? Some of them are running four pots now. Well, I've been half-potted, but I didn't know... What, 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 is, is what is a pot, anyhow? It's a carburetor. Uh, uh, why don't you call it a carburetor? Well, that's just like building a stock car. I see. That would, You're too snobbish to call it a car. <laughs> well, what else? Uh, what else do they oh, do? Well, there was one fellow that put two front ends, one on the front and one on the back. <laughs> Well, what, what is the object of that? That sounds... Uh... Well, you'll have to admit it's different. <laughs> you seem to be more interested in freaks than you are in locomotion. Uh, Dorothy, uh, how about some service? You've been standing there all this time and you haven't even wiped my windshield. <laughs> Tell me, what do you think of hot rodders? Oh, I think they're swifty. You think they're what? Swifty. Did you know you were Swifty? Sure, I knew it. Now, where do you attend your gas pumps, Dorothy? The Gilmore Serve Yourself service station, Beverly oh, Boulevard. I see. Thought that's what you, you were there for. To, what do you mean, to save yourself? You just serve yourself. You come in and serve your own gas and wipe your own windshield and check your own oil, and then you pay me. If I'm going to do all that, I'll put the money in my own pocket and leave. Huh? You call that a service station? Mm-hmm. Suppose a woman drives into your station. You make her do all that work? I treat the men and women alike. Well, if you ever expect to get married, you're going to have to revise that policy. <laughs> Much, Dorothy, but some. Huh? <laughs> what do you girls call yourselves? I'm sure you don't refer to each other as girl uh, gas uh, station attendants, do you? No, we call each other gas jockeys. <laughs> There's a whole new language sprung up. <laughs> I'm completely out of touch with the outside world. <laughs> do you save hot rod drivers? Oh, we certainly do. Well, uh, will you save me one the next time I come in there? <laughs> gas does the average hot rod driver buy? Well, it all depends how much money they have in their pockets. We had one come in today that bought three cents worth. Well, can he get out of the station with three cents worth? What do you do, drop it in his ear? Don, how far can you get on three cents worth of gas? Well, I've never been that cheap. I, at least I... Well, let's ever assume that you were broke, not necessarily cheap. Let's say you were broke and only had three cents. How far would you go in your car? Well, I bought five cents worth and I got... <laughs> but uh, you wouldn't be so cheap to buy three cents <laughs> Four 
sense wife. <laughs> Nothing under a nickel, huh? Okay, how far do you get on a nickel's worth of gas? Well, I almost got home. <laughs> you mean all the way to Oklahoma? <laughs> now, uh, how fast can one of your hot rods uh, travel, uh, Don? <clears throat> well, if you push it, it should go between... <laughs> I mean, if you're inside the car. <laughs> this is where the nickel's where the gas, I guess. No, when I mean push it, I mean you got your foot in the carburetor. Everything you say has another meaning. <laughs> How fast did you say you could go? Well, most of them are... I won't say if they push it. Most of them... You can say it again if you want. <laughs> I'm, I'm inured to everything now. If you push it, um, they go from between 120 to 160. Well, where do you drive 150 miles an hour? And where are you going? <laughs> and what's your hurry? Well, we're uh, racing against the clock at Lake El Mirage. Does the clock run alongside of you? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, we're racing against... Time. Oh, time. Well, He's kind of <laughs> cute at that, isn't he? <laughs> Dorothy, do you like him? Sure, I do. <laughs> Very much. Well, I like him too, Dorothy. <laughs> Don, you'll have to choose between us. <laughs> I'm not going to do very well, I can tell you. <laughs> Dorothy, I think you'd be perfectly safe going on a ride with Don here. After all, at 150 miles an hour, he has to keep both hands on the steering wheel. <laughs> Isn't that right, uh, Don? No, not necessarily. <laughs> well, if the girl you take out isn't an angel, she will be by the time you get back. <laughs> When you see me crossing the street, all I ask is just stop and wait for about 20 minutes, huh? <laughs> Until I'm safely on the other side. How, how carefully do you drive, Don? Well, most of the, the guys that drive roadsters are, 90% of them are very careful. They take pride in their cars and they drive them safe, and mechanically they are A1. We are now trying to get them off the streets from racing by driving it, having the races up at El Mirage, and they're racing against time only. And the cars are in perfect condition, and uh, that's about it. Well, my advice for you is to take your car into your nearest DeSoto Plymouth dealer. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, I think during the last war, it was proven that many of the best airplane pilots were kids who had been driving hot rods. Well... Only let me know when you're coming down my street, will you? <laughs> now that we've discussed the hot rod situation, let's see how well you two make out in the quiz. Now, in just one minute, you're going to play your Bet Your Life for a chance at the $1,500 question. The best in service at a fair price. That's what the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America offer you. When you take your car to any of them for service, no matter what make of car you drive, these DeSoto Plymouth dealers believe in giving every customer a fair deal. This fair deal consists of expert mechanics working with the best tools and equipment to give you an efficient job every time. 
Also, a desire on the part of every dealer to treat you courteously and to charge you a fair price. It's easy to see. A DeSoto Plymouth dealer wants you for a steady and satisfied customer. So next time your car needs attention, won't you stop in at the sign of an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealer? And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Now, let's see if you two will get a chance at the $1,500. Fannerman, tell them the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected songs by Rogers and Hart as your category, right? Here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you try? Ten. Now, what is the title of this song? Play, Jerry. What is it? Blue Moon is right. And they're on their way with $30. Right, how much of the 30 will you bet? Fifteen. $15. What is the title of this one? Have $45. All right, you got $45. Here's your third question. How much of the $45? $40. Give me the title of this one. Okay, Jerry. This can't be love. This can't be love. It's correct. They're really now. They have $85. All right, you're right back in that hot rod now. Is your last chance to beat the other couples? How much of the $85? $70. $70. $70. Let's see if you can identify this song. $155. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Stick around now. You may get the chance at the big question. Groucho, the secret word is still bread. I know that, George. Well, perhaps the next couple will say it. I know that, too. We invited some tax assessors to the show and I just... didn't know that. Oh. <laughs> And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected one of them, Mrs. Helen Carr. Her partner, Mr. Bill Redding, is a married man from the audience. And here they come, folks. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome to your betcha life, and if you say the secret word, you'll split $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you see every day. A tax assessor, eh? Uh, that's you, Mr. Redding? No. No, I'm a hotel clerk. <laughs> I thought you said you were a tax assessor. No, you just said that. Oh, is that where I heard it, huh? <laughs> then uh, you're a tax assessor, Mrs. Uh, Helen Carr? Yes, I am. How long have you two been married? Huh? I'm, not, uh, I'm not married to him, no. Well, don't come running to me with your trouble. <laughs> Aren't you ashamed, Mr. Reddick, breaking up a happy home like hers? No, I just met her a few minutes ago. <laughs> Fast worker, eh? 
Where are you from, you rascal, you? <laughs> Mr. Well, Reddy, where are you from? Well, I'm from uh, College View or Peanut Hill, Nebraska. That's a suburb just outside of Lincoln. I didn't know Lincoln had any suburbs. <laughs> so where, where are you from, Mrs. Carr? Originally Boone, Iowa. Boone, is that named after Daniel Boone? Uh, Boone yes, or? it is. Named after Daniel Boone. Yeah. Do you know what he was famous for? Well, no, I don't. He had a coonskin cap. <laughs> There's a man spent his whole life as a hero, and he wound up being identified <laughs> as a fellow who wore a coonskin cap. Huh? When I die, I'll be known as an old mustache, I suppose. <laughs> How long have you been married, uh, Mr. Reddick? Oh, about uh, 31 or 32 years. Mm -hmm. How did you meet this poor misled wife of yours? <laughs> well, I was, at the time, I was a night clerk, and I used to, uh, I had an Excelsior motorcycle. This particular morning, while I was rushing home, and just as I scooted around the corner, why, she was stooping over to set down a pail of garbage. <laughs> It's a very romantic meeting. So. Uh, I landed up uh, mixed up with the garbage and with uh, with an injured knee, and it took me about two weeks before I was able to ride the motorcycle again. And uh, during that intermission, why she used to come around and sit on my on the front porch. And... That's known as a Freudian slip. I used to know a girl who wore one of those. Huh? Now, Mrs. Carr, isn't it unusual for a woman to be a tax assessor? Oh, no. Six out of seven of us are women. What is the other one, a giraffe? <laughs> now, as a, a tax uh, deputy, what are your duties? I uh, go around the county door to door taking statements for personal property. Just what is personal property? Huh? Personal property is anything you own or use. That's the broadest statement I ever heard. You mean I have to pay a tax on my neighbor's shower? No, not... Well, I use it all the time. Now, Mrs. Carr, pretend I'm a housewife and you're making a routine call. Now, go ahead and ask me the usual questions. Well, good morning. Uh, I want to take your statement. Do you have any real estate? I have a 50-foot lot. Continue. Uh, how, how deep is it? It's about 30 feet deep. Uh, <laughs> that's only at high tide. Go on. Do you own any, uh, any personal property? Furniture? Yeah. All the furniture, furniture in my living room is new. We got it, it by is? sending in soap coupons. Well, what do you have in the other rooms? I have three million bars of soap. Huh? <laughs> Well, I came clean that time. Huh? <laughs> well, now that I know all about tax assessments, let's see how well you two are going to make out with you bet your life. Now, you run your $20 into more than the other couples, and you get a chance at the $1,500 DeSoto Plymouth question. I can't tell you how much our first couple won, but Fenneman is off stage to remind our listeners. The hot rod driver and the girl gas attendant earned $155. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected pictures on paper money as your category. Is that right? That's correct. Here's your first question. How much of the 20 would you try? $10. $10. Whose picture's on the $5 bill? That's um, Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln. You knew that from Lincoln, Nebraska. You're off to a good start with $30. Well, you, well, you got $30. Remember, you're going for $1,500 tonight. Now, how much of the 30 will you bet? 
You bet the whole 30. The whole 30. Whose picture is on the $20 bill? Uh, that's Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson is right. Now they have $60. Well, you're really gamblers. Now you got $60. Here's your third question. How much of the 60? You bet the 60. You're going to bet the 60. <laughs> Whose picture is on the $10 bill? Um, that's uh, Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. They're really climbing now, Groucho. They have $120. Got $120. How much of the $120 are you going to pay? You're going to bet. $120. You're going to bet the whole yeah, way, huh? <laughs> Whose picture is on the $1 bill? George Washington. George Washington. And they wind up with a grand total of $200. And good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers And I will soon know who gets the chance at the $1,500 question You know, friends When you're out driving in a long automobile trip Keep in mind that there are more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast Fenneman, don't you know when a person's driving a car He's supposed to keep his mind on the road? Well then, folks, when you're at home Thinking about that trip in your car Remember there's a DeSoto Plymouth dealer near you I can practically feel his hot breath on my spare tire that's just the warmer weather ahead, Groucho. And it's just one more reason why you should drive in to a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Touche, Fenneman. Now, let's get back to your bet your life. Who's ahead? Well, the tax assessor and the married man are leading with $240. And the secret word is still bread. We invited some game wardens and some commercial fishermen to the program tonight. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected warden Walter Shannon and fisherman Vince... Devlahovich. And here they are. Gentlemen, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, boys, to the Soda Plymouth Dealers. And if you say the secret word, you'll divide $100 in cash between you. It's a common word, something you see every day. A commercial fisherman and a game warden, eh? What is your name? Uh, Devlahovich. Devlahovich, huh? What is that? What is that, Russian? No, that's uh, Yugoslavonia. Yugoslavonia, huh? Are, are you from uh, Yugoslavia? I was born here, San Pedro. Are you a skipper or a member of the crew? I'm a skipper. A skipper, huh? Could you skip around for me here? <laughs> Did you ever wear a Schiaparelli uh, gown or a no. hat or anything? <laughs> you think they'd pay to come in, wouldn't you? <laughs> You're the, you're the game warden, uh, Mr. Shannon? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me, warden, this sounds like old times. Can we call you? <laughs> warden, uh, what are your principal duties? Our principal duties are to watch people uh, who are hunting and fishing. Oh, a television fan, eh? <laughs> or as we say in the business, uh, TV. <laughs> that means terrible vaudeville, huh? Ah, there are still diehards that listen to radio. <laughs> Why do you watch people fishing and hunting? Uh, haven't you got anything better to do, Mr. Shannon? Uh, to see uh, if they uh, violate the fish and game laws. Well, can't they violate it if you, without you watching them? <laughs> what kind of laws do they vi violate? They uh, uh, catch and hunt uh, out of season, catch fish out of season, 
sometimes shoot uh, females. Uh, what kind of females? Huh? Such as does, uh, deer. Does females, you mean? <laughs> what do you mean by does females? Uh, and the deer, uh, does uh, females. Are called does. What about them females? <laughs> Oh, dumb females, that's even more accurate, huh? Now, Warden, what gives you the most trouble on your job? Uh, as a rule, people uh, hunting and fishing out of season. Mm-hmm. Now, when is the deer season? In the southern part of the state here, it runs uh, from about August 7th to October 15th. Well, how can the deer tell when it's open season? <laughs> well, uh, I suppose by uh, the bullets whizzing by. I guess that's true, huh? And they know for sure when they see the hunters dropping like flies, too. (laughs) Now, mackerel bait, around here, where is the best place to catch sardines? In the ocean. What I meant was, in what part of the ocean do you catch sardines? Offshore of San Diego up to uh, Santa Barbara uh, City. What kind of fish do you catch? Uh, Mostly sardines and tuna. Now, how much do you get for your tuna? Well, uh, yeah, the elephant tuna, you get $310 a ton. When we get a load of tuna, which is 90 ton, we uh, split uh, the money. The crew gets 65% of the share, and the boat gets... 35%. 35%. The boat walks up and asks for it? <laughs> Anything unusual ever happen to you when you're off on one of these fishing trips? Well, yes. A uh, couple of months ago, uh, <laughs> we were uh, pinched by the game warden in, uh, for... F- <laughs> Where did he pinch you? Well, we were supposed to be fishing in Santa Monica Bay, but... Uh, <laughs> what happened? Well, we paid a fine. Each crew, made, each crew member paid a $25 fine. And, and the boat pays part of it, too? Yes. <laughs> the boat walks right down to the police station? That's a very intelligent boat, you know. That. I don't know what you need a crew for at all. <laughs> I know all about fishing and hunting. Now, let's see how well you two make out in the battle for the $1,500 question. You beat the other two couples, and you win the chance at all that money. I can't tell you how much our first couples won, but Fenneman's going to remind our listeners. The tax assessor and the married man are ahead with $240. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected national parks as your category. Is that right? All right. Now, talk right up into the microphone. How much of the $20 are you going to try? Ten. Ten dollars. $10. In what state is Hot Springs National Park? Arkansas. Arkansas is right. All right, Roger, with $30. All right, Remy, going for $1,500 tonight. How much of the 30 will you try? 25. 25. In what state is the Everglades National Park? Florida. Florida is correct. <laughs> now they have $55. $55. Here's your third question. How much of the 55? 50. 50. In what state is Zion National Park? Utah. Utah is right. <laughs> Now they have one hundred and five dollars. Now you got a hundred and five dollars. Is your last chance to beat the other couples? How much of the hundred and five? Hundred. 
It's okay with me. Hundred. Okay. And what state is Mammoth Caves National Park? Kentucky. Kentucky is right. And they wind up with a grand total of two hundred and five dollars. And that means the tax assessor and the married man with $240 get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question. Is your car ready for the warmer weather? If not... Why not stop in now at a DeSoto Plymouth dealer's? To put your car in tip-top condition, your DeSoto Plymouth dealer will give it an engine tune-up. This should be done to prepare your car for the warmer weather ahead. So be sure to stop in at the sign of an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealer first chance you get. No matter which of the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers you visit for that check tune-up, you can be sure of getting efficient, courteous service at a fair price wherever you see the sign of an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealer. And here is the tax assessor and the married man, the winning couple, all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question, Groucho. Here we go for $1,500. You ready? Yes, sir. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you, so think carefully and please no help from the audience. Here it is. The Pony Express took nine days to travel from St. Joseph, Missouri, to the Western Terminal. For $1,500, what was the western end of the Pony Express run? What is the answer you two have decided upon? Salt Lake. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. It's uh, Sacramento, California. So that means the big question next week will be wait $2,000. Well, you lost the big money, but you won $240 in the quiz. Congratulations and thanks to both of you. You Bet Your Life is a John Goodell production. Transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, You Bet Your Life, presented by the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth, two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And don't forget, next week, the big question will be worth $2,000. Well, Bing Crosby's champing at the bit, so good night, folks, and remember... Just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Well, here's a tip from the National Safety Council. Two of the most important rules of the road are courtesy and common sense. This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast.